Good morning. Thanks for uh, for having me uh, worship with you this morning. It's a joy to be back and to be uh, to be with you. I was uh, commissioned from Riverside to plant uh, Ridgeline in the very first uh, Sunday in January in 2012, and so it has been uh, since then since I've worshipped um, with uh, the people here at Ridgeline uh, Riverside. Um, that happens often. That confusion right there. Too many R words. Uh, we helped. Uh, plant, or we supported Riverbend and Ridgeline and Riverside. It just, it all runs together. Well, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Second Chronicles. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26 will be our text this morning. If you're new to the Bible, uh, if you, I, I, when I was uh, not even a believer yet, uh, atheistic, unbelieving, uh, immoral in my sin, and I visited a church and it always seemed like by the time I found the table of contents, uh, the sermon was half finished. And then by the time I found the text and figured out what the big numbers were and the little numbers were, uh, by the time all that took place, I missed the bulk of the message and felt defeated uh, in my attempts to, to understand God. And so let me give you a moment to turn there. Um, the first five books of the Bible, if you're starting from left, is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you get that little stretch of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, uh, and then those uh, six history books, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Uh, So we're looking at the 14th book of the Bible, and we're going to be in chapter 26. And uh, and so I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into our message this morning. Father, we exalt you, Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We thank You that You have made a way for us to know You. We were dead in our own trespasses and sins. We didn't need help. We didn't need uh, tips for living. We didn't need assistance to get back on track. We were as dead as Lazarus three days in the tomb. We needed nothing short of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross that we may find life and life more abundantly. We thank You that You sent Your Son to accomplish salvation. And that if it was just our sin, it still would have required Jesus coming and dying. So we thank You that You accomplished salvation in such an incredibly loving way. We ask that we would live the new life that You have called us to. And that in every way, as we understand Your Word and as we walk with You by Your Spirit, that You would use Your Word to make us more and more like You. Bless our time this morning and by the power of Your Holy Spirit, speak to us as He is our advocate and our guide, our counselor, the one who intercedes on our behalf, who prays in words that we could never understand. We thank You and we ask that we would Hear from you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about a kingdom value. A kingdom value is, uh, is often found in the word weakness, and um, oftentimes we value strength. We value strong people, right? If you need a refrigerator moved, uh, I'm typically the guy that you would call. I'm not going to brag or anything, but if furniture needs to be moved, uh, we call strong people. Uh, we talk about in our culture someone who has strong convictions. 
There is no gray area for some people. They only see in black and white and they, they never seem confused by ethical questions or concerns. And we talk about them uh, as though they have strong convictions and that's a value we have. We talk about strong leaders. Um, maybe someone who makes hard decisions that people struggle to understand, um, but they lead us in a very challenging way. And we, ch- uh, we cherish that. We talk about emotionally strong people or mentally strong people or, or maybe many of us wish that we were stronger in our resolve or stronger in our self-discipline or stronger in our abilities. We challenge and um, we are challenged to be stronger and we value that as a, as a culture. But it's not just our culture or humanity. Uh, the Bible also champions this value. Thinking about passages like Joshua being installed as Moses' successor, says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Uh, he says that three times in Joshua 1, verses 6-7 through and 9, strengthening Joshua. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, preparing them for spiritual warfare. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Paul to Timothy, telling him, encouraging him for the pastoral role, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So clearly, it's proper for us to aim at being spiritually strong, and it's improper for us to settle for anything else. But what do we do when strong is wrong? What do we do when weakness is the way in which we should go? How do we understand the nuance of being strong in the Lord and not strong in our flesh. Let's pick up our text in 2 Chronicles 26. And you're going to be introduced, if you've not met Uzziah yet, you're going to be introduced to him. A fascinating story. Whenever you read the history of Israel and the kings, there's always at the beginning a a, a summary of their reign. He was a good king. That was a bad king. They walked in the ways of the idolatrous fathers. This was a good king. This was a bad king. You always hear that. Uzziah is classified as a good king in the southern kingdom of Judah. You might remember Uzziah from Isaiah 6 when Isaiah goes into the temple and he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and a man of, uh, I'm an unclean person who lives among unclean people. That's the Uzziah that we're going to get to know. So let's read together. Verse 1, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Uzziah, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old, when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Just in case you're looking for baby names, uh, there's a few good ones for you. Not uh, included in the most popular baby names of 2021. I I don't understand why. Verse 4, Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. There's the summary statement. He did good things. He did right things. And now we're going to have a list summarizing the first part of his life or reign and of all the good things that he did. So just listen to this resume. Verse 5, he set himself 
to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Would that God, wouldn't that be said about us, right? That we would walk with God, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord, that we would walk as we were trained to walk, and that it would extend to the end of our days. That our Ebenezer, the thus far has the Lord brought me, would that would extend to the end of our life. That we would cross the finish line finishing well. Very few people finish strong. And in the Christian life, it's not always how you start, but it's how you finish. Verse 6, that was a summary of his spiritual life. Now his government life as the king of Judah. Verse 6, he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and he fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions, according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of the fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make more, a war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields and spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made engines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Do you get the impression that King Uzziah, innovative, inventive, a great leader, leading his troops to victory, inventing things and uh, building cities and building towers. Everything he touched seemed to go well. And it's attributed to the fact that he sought the Lord and that the Lord strengthened him and that he persisted in his faith for a great many years. For the majority of his reign, he was a good king. He was a good follower of God. He was a, he was a, a godly person walking in the fear of God. But look at verse 16. Something changes. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with eighty priests of the Lord who were men of valor 
And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the chief priests looked at him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead and they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel and taking archaeological tours for a 10-day period. And while I was there, they pointed out a tomb set apart that had an inscription, Uzziah the leper. Still to this day, even his bones, they were warned not to go in. How could someone who had such a great start, who had such a long life, who had such a fruitful life, blow it so terribly in the end? I learned early on in ministry that Satan is in no hurry to get us. But if it takes us 20 years for him to plant a seed of temptation and sin, and if that seed doesn't, uh, t- takes its time to develop and you foster that particular sin or that particular temptation, that as it grows, that your fall can happen 30, 40, 50 years from now. And one of the key ingredients to a great fall like Uzziah for any of us, it's been said that none of us are any closer than three days away from complete failure and falling away. And most of us operate on day two for the most part. What holds us? Who keeps us? How do we know when strong is wrong and when weakness becomes the way? A few weeks ago, uh, I found myself in just a handful of meetings within a few days' time, and each one seemed to be more humbling than the last. Acknowledging a sin, confessing failure, acknowledging a misstep in leadership, acknowledging I should have done better, kind of in an Andy Reid, kind of, well, you know, we should have done better. Should have done better. Next week we'll do better. Kind of a way. In that sense of weakness and in that sense of uh, transparency with people around me, I noticed that what resulted from those encounters, uh, what I feared in walking in weakness was uh, diminished leadership, that someone would look down on me or that something negative would result. But what happened was that guards uh, went down mental 
mutual encouragement took place. People were sincere in their prayers for me and for others. There was a renewed sense of trust alongside that honesty and transparency. If you're a person who operates in your Christian life according to some sort of secrecy, guarding your private life from your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you never really let someone know you, then you're missing out on one of the most beautiful features of biblical Christianity. That is that the acknowledgement of weakness in ourselves and the reality of operating in some sort of supernatural strength only given by the Holy Spirit to weak people. The reality is that we are weak and we must acknowledge our weakness for a few key reasons that I'll finish the sermon with in a little while. I don't want to get your hopes up right now. In a little while. One, that we may be dependent on the Lord. Two, that our lives may exalt and magnify the Lord. Three, so that we can crush pride and arrogance. The same pride and arrogance that gripped Uzziah. And four, so that we can experience and demonstrate to a watching world how great God is as He shines through weak vessels. So what is weakness? Let's get to understand what I mean by weakness. Demonstrating weakness, demonstrating vulnerability when you encounter it in yourself could look something like this. Acknowledging when you don't have an answer for someone's tough question. You ever had somebody ask you, what does this mean? And what is this passage about? And you, you knowing full well, you have no idea what it means, uh, start to uh, give an answer, to, to start to speak before you've even formulated an answer. Rather than thinking about it and acknowledging you don't have an answer, um, weakness says, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But, and then that's a hard question. I, don't, I, don't, I wish I knew why that happened in your life. I wish I had an answer for why God allowed that to happen to you. But I don't. And it breaks my heart that it happened. See, that's a weakness way. Rather than puffing yourself up uh, and allowing yourself to have all the answers, it's a way in which we can acknowledge weakness. Another way that you can acknowledge weakness or demonstrate weakness is to share a doubt that you've had about your faith or about a doctrine that you don't understand or, or to share some doubt that you've carried personally that you've, you've held to yourself. Confessing a sin to a brother or sister in Christ. See, that's why gathering with the body of Christ is so incredibly important. As you come in here, never... Um, Never misunderstand the importance, the essentialness of looking at a brother or sister in Christ and saying, how you doing? And when you detect in their eye they're not doing well, say, hey, let's go over here and have a prayer. Why don't you confess to me what's going on in your life? This, that sort of exchange that happens day in, day out uh, in churches is the kind of thing uh, that allows us to be, uh, to be accountable and to keep short accounts. Uh, revealing a weak place in your life to others. I always seem to give in to temptation in this particular area. Admitting that you don't know what to do next. That you don't have all the answers and you don't know where you're going with your life. Recognizing a lack of self-control or self-discipline. Recognizing a rigid, I will not budge kind of stubbornness that prioritizes comfort and tasks and money or things above the people and the relationships in your life. Maybe confessing to God your doubt, your anger, your frustration, or your anxiety. See, in all those ways, we demonstrate weakness. And in all those ways, um, rather than us being puffed up 
and our pride being inflated, we choose weakness in those ways. So what do we make of the command to be strong while simultaneously experiencing and walking in this kind of weakness? How do we distinguish when is strong wrong and when is weakness the way versus do not fear and be strong and courageous? How do we understand from a biblical point of view, um, how do we understand weakness? Um, J.I. Packer identifies weakness as a pathway that we all walk in and he says it is, quote, the truest Christian life. And he wrote a book in 2013 called Weakness is the Way, upon which a lot of the ideas I'm sharing with you this morning come. Uh, And he defines it this way. Weakness, however, means inability to finally control our life and our situations relationally, circumstantially, financially, health-wise, and so on, despite all that our therapeutic present-day culture can do for us, that it will be with us as long as life in this world lasts. Did you catch that? Do you have a controlling personality that you have to know when you leave and and you have to know when you're going to arrive and and everything has to work just right and then something as small as a virus comes in and just totally throws all that off. That's why the world feels so out of equilibrium for so many people is that, that we can't control even the smallest detail in our lives and schedules. And for us to embrace this sort of lack of control causes something in us. It causes us to look to the Savior. To look to Jesus and to in our weakness depend on Him. Packer continues, he says, Our Lord Jesus Christ lived in poverty through the years of His ministry. And having been despised and rejected as Isaiah phrased it, it says He was crucified in weakness. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. This tells us what kind of life and road that we have as His disciples and that we must be prepared to travel. Paul, operating in dependence on the risen Christ, found strength to live with weakness and shows us how to do the same. But our weaknesses will not go away any more than His did. I've always found this fascinating. This progression in Paul In the early years of his ministry, he said, I am the least of the apostles. Later in his ministry, he said, I am the least of the saints. And at the end of his life, he said, I am the chief of sinners. See, we have this false notion that as we walk with Jesus, that we can be sanctified to perfection. I once had a brother in Christ say, it's been months since I've sinned. And I just sort of stepped aside, (laughs) waiting for like a lightning strike or something. I don't know that kind of victory. The further I walk with Christ and the deeper I press into His presence and His holiness, the more I am aware of my own sin nature. The more I'm aware of my own filthiness. Turn to the 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one key way that we can understand why God delights in weakness and isn't repulsed by it. It's found in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul has been talking to the Corinthians about these great visions and his ministry, Ezra alluded to. I didn't know that you were walking through 2 Corinthians. Paul is boasting and he's talking about visions and all those things. 
And we pick up in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see the beauty of that? Paul was being conceited. Back in 2 Chronicles 26, that understanding, that word pride and becoming strong was the idea of being high and lifted up. That's one of the gloss definitions in Hebrews, uh, in the Hebrew language, of that word pride, to be high and lifted up. He, Uzziah, wanted to be strong. Every king around him operated not just as a king, but also as the high priest. And Uzziah wanted that same ability to be uh, the high priest and the king. There was no place off limits for him. So he found himself wanting to be high and lifted up, walking into the temple itself, burning incense on the altar. Now the priests who were allowed to burn incense in the altar, in the Holy of Holies, uh, in the Most Holy Place, they wore a frontlet on their forehead describing the holiness of God. And so when Uzziah went in to burn incense and leprosy broke out right there, and he had to walk around for the rest of his life unclean, we see when strength is wrong, when it's an overreach of power. So with that in mind, let's understand those final four reasons why God delights in your weakness and He's not repulsed from it. The first thing we mentioned was that it's true that we're weak and to deny it or to pretend like it's not a reality is to live an arrogant, unexamined, and self-deceived life. When you walk around <clears throat> as though you are self-sufficient, that you are independent of God, that you have strength, to pretend you have strength is worse than just acknowledging your weakness. Not too long ago, I was at a high school football game. My son plays for the junior varsity in Souderton, and he was playing in Quakertown, and we were at this Quakertown high school stadium. And I had to go find a bathroom, and, and I, I couldn't find it on our side, so I walked around the end zone. And what I noticed as I was walking around the end zone looking for a bathroom was that every junior high and middle school boy and girl were traveling in these big clumps, walking by each other in this sort of never-ending parade of like looking for your next girlfriend or boyfriend. And all these boys would walk with their shoulders puffed up and their sweat, you know, just like their, their biceps were too big to fit next to their stomach, and they were, they were just extremely puffed up, um, like a, a peacock or something, kind of trying to get a mate, and it was, it was really funny to me. Whenever the world sees someone who is projecting too much confidence, 
right? When they're projecting too much. Uh, we all kind of understand that there's some sort of compensation for uh, weakness in their life. When someone is overly boastful or braggy, uh, we all understand that there's probably some deep insecurity that lies at the heart of that. When they overuse every adjective to describe how amazing everything is going and how incredible their business is or how incredible their marriage is, it always kind of lends, uh, in our own minds, every one of us sort of evaluate and say it's, it's probably not as great as they make it sound or as bad as they might make it sound. The truth is we all have blind spots. You and I, we all have blind spots. People will, will say about me when they get in their car, maybe on the way home, does he really not see you know, this in his life? Or does, does he really not understand how people see it? I really do have blind spots that I, I don't think. And we all have that. Areas of our life that we have no idea <clears throat> is wrong or weak. But to deny it or to live an unexamined, arrogant, self-deceived life misses something beautiful about biblical Christianity. That we don't have to just acknowledge our weakness, but we can walk in weakness. And when we're weak, Jesus is made strong. The second reason why God delights in our weakness and is not repulsed by it is so that we may be dependent on the Lord. A quote that has stuck with me for years um, in a book about prayer said that prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. So when we find ourselves going days and days and days without any meaningful prayer, then what we're essentially saying is that I don't need God. I have no challenges in my life. I have no challenges in my day upon which I need to come before the Lord and ask His help. Which strikes at the heart of our call to abide in Christ. That John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. That that any branch cut off from me bears no fruit, but every branch that is vitally connected to the, the root will bear much fruit. Anytime we remain independent of the Lord or disconnected from the Lord demonstrates that we're not walking in weakness. Weakness is beautiful and that it causes us to cry out to the Lord. Since we're not really live streaming, right? <laughs> I can... <laughs> Good to know. I had a counseling appointment recently, and in the midst of it, I just saw these two people spinning out of control. And I'm supposed to have answers for them, right? I'm supposed to, and, and as it went on 15, 20 minutes or so, I just, at some point, I, I stood up and I, so frustrated, I just said, I can't help you. I can't help you. There's nothing I can do for you. I don't have an answer for this. I wasn't equipped for this kind of sort of toxicity and just this sort of conflict that is unresolved. You just bounced off 18 subjects and just yelled at each other for, I don't even, I'm not, I don't know what to do here. So I'm going to do the only thing I know how to do. And I got on my knees and I just said, Lord, if you don't intervene in this, what, what hope is there for this, for this couple? What can I do? There, there's no answer, there's no Bible verse that I can slap on this and call it good. What can I do for this? That sort of daily dependence that says, if you don't show up, what hope have we? Listen, we come into churches like this as though everything is going well and we just need a little Jesus 
for our Sunday to get us through the week, when in reality, every breath that we take must be breathed in and breathed out in utter dependence on a, on a God who could at any moment strike us with a virus or with a disease or with an accident. At every intersection, we have no idea how close we are to our final breath. And if we don't live in that sort of utter dependence on the Lord God, I don't know why we call ourselves Christ followers. If we don't operate in that sort of I need you, every hour I need you, I don't know how we... I don't know how we make it through the Christian life. I don't know how we follow the Word. I don't know how we follow the book. I don't know how we follow the Savior if it's not in that sort of weakness. The last two reasons demonstrate something beautiful, though, when we walk in weakness. Not just that we can depend on Him. Not just that it's a way for us to live an examined, uh, not a self-deceived life so that our lives may exalt and magnify the Lord. Think about Gideon in Judges chapter 6. In Judges 6, Gideon is filled with doubt and weakness. He's putting out fleeces. He's giving God tests. Did you really want me to do this? Or do you, you want me to do this? And he's, he's testing the Lord in all these ways. The Lord made it abundantly clear that He would deliver him to victory. In Judges 7, he goes to battle against the Midianites with 32,000 soldiers. And the Lord says, it's too many. Through a series of events, any one of you who uh, are afraid and don't want to fight, just go home. And the Lord reduces the army by 22,000. 10,000 left. Through another series of tests, he continually whittles down, drink from the brook this way, if they drink from the brook. He whittles the army down from 32,000 to 300. And the Lord kept saying, you have too many people. You have too many people. You have too many people. Why did he attack with 300 people? Who gets the glory for a victory like that? Who gets the credit when 300 people with plus God routes an army of thousands? Who gets the credit for that? Who looks at our lives and they say, you have such amazing leadership ability. It's amazing how you're... Uh, God has used you to do all these incredible things. And, and you're able to say, listen, you've got me all wrong. The strength behind me, the, the leadership behind me is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm too dumb to, to know how many steps. He tells me what step to take next. With every single step I take, He leads me. You, you got me all wrong if you think that there's something good in me. See, that kind of weakness crushes Pride and arrogance and ego in our lives that is tempted to take the credit. Every time something good happens, oh, it's great. And you say, oh, praise God. You know. But really, we want that kind of credit for ourselves. Our lives should exalt and magnify the Lord. And in that way, when everyone around you sees this final reason, when everyone around you sees it, they see God high and lifted up. The way in which we were supposed to be. He shines brightest through cracked vessels, right? That's probably on a coffee cup somewhere or a t-shirt. Like somebody embroidered it for you. Like God shines His light through cracked vessels or something. That's kind of the idea is God is glorified in our lives. And your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, when they see the mercy and the grace of God evidenced in your life, He gets the credit. I'm going to finish with Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, we read those words. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The same idea that Uzziah had. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. And at the voice of Him who called, the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know how staggering it would have been for Isaiah to say, Uzziah fell? Look at all the great things that Uzziah did. All of his life. All these amazing things. Isaiah would have thought it was impossible. for It shook the nation for Uzziah to have fallen the way he was. To the degree that Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God in the temple, high and lifted up, he recognized in his own self how weak he was. I am unclean. Unclean. And I live amongst an unclean people. When we walk in weakness like this, not only does God get the glory, but we see ourselves really clearly for who we are. And we see our need for the cross. See, the cross was not just something we needed at the beginning of our salvation and now we've moved past it. The cross is something that we need every day. We, we, we sing about the gospel, we sing about the cross because it, it highlights how much we needed a substitute for our sins. Jesus traded His strength for humility and servanthood. He traded His righteousness for our uncleanness. When we walk in weakness, we see that and our affection for Jesus grows even more. Let it be so in our lives. Lord Jesus, we lift You up. This morning we are reminded of our own inability to control anything. As an infant cries out in the night, we cry out to You. In weakness, in vulnerability, often in shame, I fell again, Lord. The same sin, the same temptation, the same pride, the same arrogance, the same week of prayerlessness, the same week of worshiplessness, the same week of walking in the ways of the world. Lord, we've blown it again. And it demonstrates how utterly dependent we are on You for everything. Would You help us to walk in that kind of weakness? The same weakness that Paul says that when I am weak, then You are strong. That I cherish my weakness because in my weakness the power of God is perfected. In our weakness, the, 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 the glory of God shines brightest. So would you grant to each of us a measure of authenticity and sincerity? We may not only acknowledge our weakness, but that we may boastfully walk in it in such a way that anything good in our life could never be explained as anything but the mercy and grace of God who has carried me thus far, my Ebenezer. And that no further have I gone than as far as He has allowed me. 
And would you allow us by that same weakness to finish strong? Because Satan is in no hurry to get us. And so we pray that as we walk in weakness, you would sustain us. In Jesus' name, amen.